Sometimes the most memorable stories we carry with us from military service were just the product of the branch of service we were in or the deployment we were on and the crazy stuff that happens when people with a mission and a common cause live in close quarters. And sometimes after our time in the service, we're lucky enough to find careers not too dissimilar to that with missions and with common cause for us to rally around. When we're lucky like that, we can continue to share stories of our shared history and experience and support one another through a bond that goes beyond the workplace. Jones Lang LaSalle and JLL's VetNet Business Resource Group brings you the MidWatch podcast in an effort to tell those stories and share that experience and build connections across generations of veterans at JLL and our broader community. And now the host, of the Midwatch Podcast, Dan Ettinger. All right, everybody, you'll never guess what time it is. It is time for the next episode of Jones Lang LaSalle's The Midwatch, Jones Lang LaSalle and VetNet's premier entertainment experience, where we're going to talk to yet another military veteran working for Jones Lang LaSalle. Super excited for uh, for the show today. I've been talking with our guest for a few minutes here before we got started, and I think you're really going to enjoy the episode. Rafael Romero, welcome to the show. All right, thanks, thanks. I really appreciate the opportunity. Absolutely, this should be fun. Let's start out by kind of hearing where uh, where you're at in in the country, and kind of a little bit about what you do for Jones Lang LaSalle, and then. Add in some about the kind of family, friends, hobbies, that kind of stuff. Tell us about you. Uh, well, I mean, I'm in the South Florida office. Uh, I'm in specifically in Miami. I'm in the retail leasing department. I've uh, been here for going on two years here soon enough. The uh, I've got two kids, uh, seven and eight, and they're, they're pretty much the driver of everything that I do, um, <laughs> at least all the good things that I do. Yep. yep. Um, I guess new, new and interesting things about me is I closed on a house during the pandemic, which Congratulations. was in spite of, in spite of five years of service, maybe the scariest thing I've ever done. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome though. Congratulations. That's nice. Yeah. So thanks. I appreciate it. And the, the kids, uh, boy, boys or girls. Uh, one of each, one of each. So the, uh, that, that factory might be closed uh, for the foreseeable future. If I've, I've, checked, I've checked the appropriate boxes. <laughs> Hold on, i got to write that down. Never I've, never, I've never heard that before. Let me write that one down. <laughs> Very cool. What do you do for, uh, for hobbies? Um, well, these days, uh, because I closed on that house and it's been the pandemic, I had a lot of free time. My hobby's been working on the house. So... Yep. Been uh, been really exploring the lawnmower and how that all works. Uh, <laughs> things like that. For the last several years before that, I lived in a, I lived in a tower in Brickell, and it's just kind of been pretty carefree. I and I have no idea the the torment that a single family home brings upon, <laughs> upon people. You know, <laughs> uh, that's awesome though. Uh, that is quite an adventure uh, to embark on. I. I could possibly be the worst homeowner ever. I am absolutely not handy. Things break, and I'm not sure what to do about it. It's uh, it's kind of sad. 
So. I've discovered that there, where my expertise is limited, my ability to hire uh, takes over. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. The uh, what's the uh, what's the app where you can ask for handyman services? Uh, crap! What is it? Uh, it's, I, don't I, I call it I call it calling somebody that's owned a house for longer than I have. You know, <laughs> please please help. Right. Dot com. Yeah, yeah. Please, please help. <laughs> Dot com. Uh, there, there was some. There was a, there was an app that I started using that was. Uh, it's pretty useful because you just throw in what kind of project you need and it throws you, you know, three or four options and you call them up. It's pretty good. And uh, tell a little bit about what your role is with Jones Lang LaSalle before we jump over to the military stuff. What, what are you doing for the company right now? Uh, so I'm a senior VP in the retail leasing department down here. So a big part of my role is, uh, is to acquire new, new landlord clients and tenant clients and execute on those folks' plans for, for lease up ahead of disposition. So we work really closely uh, with our with our buy and sell team um, here in, in South Florida, and and, and it's a, it's a, it's been a great relationship. You know, they they sell stuff, we lease it, they sell it again for hire. You know, it works great. Right. right. <laughs> <laughs> and money happens. Well, so right. I'm jumping ahead to maybe the end of the podcast by asking this: Did you ever see yourself getting into this line of work? Like, was this a plan, or did you just land into what you're doing now, or, or what? Did you ever think you would be a commercial real estate person? No, <laughs> no. <laughs> the uh, I, I'll tell you the uh, when I was getting out, when I was thinking about getting out of the Navy, I uh, I had this this guy that worked with me, and he was he was older than I was by a long shot. He was I want to say eight years older than I was at that time, but he was junior to me. Um, so he was, he was essentially just part of the team, but a junior, junior member. And I, and I told him, I was like, listen, I'm thinking about getting out. What do you think? And he goes, well, what's your plan? <laughs> and I go, yeah. Yeah. And I go, well, I figure I can, I can get a job at Best Buy or something while I figure out what I'm going to do. And he goes, dude, that is the worst plan I've ever heard in my life. <laughs> <laughs> and he was right. <laughs> and he was so right. The uh, mind you, I got out in 2007, so oh, it was geez. the trough of the recession. And here, my plan, my my amazing plan is I'm going to go like sell TVs at Best Buy, <laughs> and that was going to be that was going to be the thing. So so I gave it some thought, and I came back, and I had just bought a small apartment in Portsmouth, mm -hmm. and I was like. That guy made how much money? He didn't do anything. And, yeah, yeah, <laughs> I, go, yeah, yeah. and I go, I can totally do that. So I, I, I go back and I talk to my buddy and I go, what about if I if I got out and I got into real estate? And he goes, that's a better plan. Only slightly <laughs> better, but a better plan. And sure, and sure enough, that's what I did. And I did residential for like five minutes and hated every second of it. <laughs> Why? What what about what about residential did you hate? I mean, it was just, I mean, when I, when I, when I did it, it was in the, the recession. So there was a lot of short sales going on. And I walked into this like sales presentation once to, to get a listing and it was a short sale thing. And the lady just had the most awful, awful story of somebody that had taken advantage of her. And it was just like, I can't get you out of this. Yeah, yeah. And I never walked back into that office again. And uh, that was the day that I said, listen, I gotta, I gotta make a change. And I, and I liked real estate. I didn't like 
the residential part of it and the decision driver there was at least on the commercial side they're all sharks and I'm never going to run into a little fish that was right. taken advantage of like that again and the rest is history that's pretty cool before being hired by JLL on an account up here in Raleigh I had never heard of JLL before and never even thought about it so it's really been a neat experience over the past couple of years to learn about all the stuff that JLL does not just in my little world uh, up here. So that's a, that's a cool story. And mm -hmm. you probably saw in the, in the show prep, this is the, the time that gets kind of emotional. I'll understand, you know, if, uh, if you need to sit down for this, but what I'd like to hear is something about you that no one, and I mean, no one would guess about you. Do you have something like that? I'll tell you the, uh, the, my ridiculous story was kind of my story, how I landed in real estate. <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean, <laughs> but I, I guess to further the ridiculousness yeah. is that when I got out and I got the real estate license, I thought that I would go ahead and do the Best Buy job part-time, and I didn't get the job. <laughs> what, yeah, what was your deal with Best Buy? Why did you want this job so much? <laughs> I don't know. I just, I liked, I liked, the, I liked all of it. Everything they sold in there, I was like, I like movies. I like TV. It's so bizarre. <laughs> it just it just seemed it just seemed like the right thing for me at that time and it turned out Best Buy didn't think so either. <laughs> do, do you like blue and yellow? Isn't there isn't that their colors? Blue and yellow? No, no. Red red is the only color for me. It's so bizarre that you ha you're fixated on Costco and or I mean uh, sorry, Best Buy. And have you brought this to fruition in any part of your life since? Is there, have you connected yourself in any way to them? I, I have evicted Best Buy Mobile uh, <laughs> in my career. Yes! Well, You're yes, mine! It has come full circle in that sense. You know, before I got to JLL, I did, I did put the, turn the screws to Best Buy and replace them <laughs> elsewhere. <laughs> did, did, uh, did they ask, they ask why you were curiously aggressive in this negotiation? <laughs> I, I serious, at, at pretty much all points of the thing, I wanted to be petty and vindictive. <laughs> That's ridiculous. But I figured, I figured it would get thrown in my face in front of that particular client. Yeah, and, uh, you're right. Right. I let that ride. <laughs> you're, you're, you're totally right. Yeah. Uh, well, thanks for sharing. That was incredible. Um, and let's, let's kind of shift gears now over to, uh, to your service. Tell us, uh, just spend a minute, a couple minutes, two or three minutes here telling us about where you were at when you joined, why you joined the service. And we talked uh, before the show, you were in the Navy. Tell us about why you joined the Navy and a little bit about what you did while you're in. And then we'll shift to a couple of stories about about your service that mean a lot. But first, tell us kind of what you were at and why you joined those kind of things. Well, I mean, I was born in Puerto Rico. Uh, and then I grew up kind of between, so I was obviously a U.S. citizen, and I, and I grew up between there and family in the Dominican Republic and New Jersey and New York. My brother's a retired NYPD officer. So, I mean, he, he awesome. stayed the course in New York City, and I just kind of bounced around at the beginning of my junior year, we decided to move permanently to the U.S., and specifically, we moved to South Florida, uh, mm -hmm. and I finished, I finished high school, or, but 
before I finished, somebody decided that it was a good idea to blow up a couple of our buildings. Um, so I was sitting in American history class, ironically, when the teacher kind of runs out and, uh, and, and comes back frantically. I guess she, she was told something and just kind of ran back into the room and plugged this TV in, and the TV just comes to life right as the second plane yeah. uh, hits. Mm-hmm. And uh, and it was it was weird because in my classroom there was two kinds of kids and there was there was the pissed off kids mm-hmm. and there was the scared kids and yeah. I remember being so pissed mm-hmm. and um, and I feel like a lot of the the generation of kids that joined the military following 9/11 were the kids that were pissed off I mean and it was just a sense of just indignation of how dare you attack the United States um, yeah. and it was just a need to do something about it you know and the uh, during that bouncing back and forth uh, my mom worked in, in New York City for for we lived in I would say we lived in New Jersey and she worked in New York City so she commuted for a couple of years and interestingly enough during the couple of years that she was there you know the first World Trade Center bomb thing happened, you know, where the tower didn't like fall or anything. But I mean, living there, I didn't hear from my mom. There was no communication in and out of the city for a long time. And, uh, and my, my aunt from Puerto Rico was just about getting ready to jump on a plane because I was at home alone, freaking out because we lived there ourselves. And I just remember how awful it felt just thinking, you know, maybe, and I and I had seen it on the news, and my aunt had told me what had kind of happened, and I just remember how awful the fear was that maybe I won't see my mom ever again. And I was, and I was a little kid, mm-hmm. and uh, and at after nine eleven, there was thousands of of kids that just wow. actually wow. never saw their moms or dads again, and they it, it happened to them. You know, so it kind of affected me in a, in a different kind of way, and I, I enlisted immediately. So I graduated uh, high school June 7th, I want to say, something like that, or June 10th. Um, and I was at boot camp June 19th of that year. Wow. It, it's funny, I, you know, I'll be interested to hear a little bit more there, but, uh, <clears throat> you know, we all we all have our experiences around that, and I guess... I just haven't thought about it for a while, but the way that you expressed that and, you know, almost more the first World Trade Center thing when you were talking about being much younger and dealing with that, that's, uh, that, was, that was really powerful. I appreciate you sharing that. But uh, yeah, more, more about transitioning into the Navy and, and kind of what you did. So the, uh, so when I joined, I, it was, it was kind of a, you know, get in and do something. Uh, interestingly enough, I actually was I was accepted at Florida State, and I ended up getting a letter from the Naval Academy, and and I had I had kind of this like option of what I mm-hmm. wanted to do, and 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 at that time I figured that if I if I went to the academy, I mean the university was out obviously because I had already signed my enlistment papers, but they'll let right. you out of the enlistment to go to Annapolis. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> And and at that exact time, I thought if I spent if I spend four years in Annapolis, there's no way that I'm gonna be able to actually affect change uh, mm-hmm. today. 
Um, so I went, I went through with my regular enlistment. I mean, and I showed up and went to boot camp. I went to quartermaster school, um, which is navigation, uh, in the Navy. And, um, I know it's like, it's supply in the army, I think the, um, but uh, I went there and I was, and I graduated with the same kind of program that you did. So I was top of the class there. So I got, I got extended for a year. So my full enlistment was five years, but I did get bumped, uh, to E4, um, which was a great, which was a great opportunity for me, uh, to kind of show up and not be at the, at the absolute bottom of the rung. <laughs> right, right. Exactly. <laughs> um, yeah. So shortly, shortly after I got there, you know, the, the, I got to my ship and I started to get acclimated and, and you know, how the Navy is like, they, they gave me an option. They were like, you, you're, you're either going to be on a fire team uh, with a hose in your hand, or you're going to be on a security team with a gun in your hands. And I was like, show me the way to the armory. <laughs> so, so yeah, so I was on, I was on a, on a, you know, boarding team. And, and then, then after that, uh, and I was like BBSS and SSDF and all the, all the Fs that you can, you yeah, can come yeah. up with for just force protection. I did all of that. That was a lot of fun. Um, and then, uh, one of my buddies uh, that was actually changing ships, he goes, he goes, listen, we need, we need rescue swimmers. And I was oh, like, cool. okay, cool. What's that? And he, and he explains the whole bit to me. Uh, and, and, and I, I decided that I was going to go ahead and do that. Turns out that in the, in the Navy, at least at that time, you couldn't get underway if you didn't have a qualified rescue swimmer on board. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, so, so I trained for that for a while and I went to, and I went to rescue swimmer school here in Florida in Jacksonville. And, uh, and that was, that was kind of drowned twice in training. Stopping of the breathing. It was, uh, but I mean, at that time it was kind of like, they would put you on your side, pat you on their back, you'd spit out some water, and they'd kick you back into the water. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Uh, but I'll, I had a, I had a great experience there. Uh, I almost graduated at the top of my class there, uh, but I got like a, a parachute string uh, wrapped around my 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 uh, fin there towards mm-hmm. the end, and I got I actually failed the final getting out. <laughs> I had to retake it. Holy and God. and the final at rescue swimmer school is this like hour long endeavor in the water. <laughs> so right, I was, right. I was pretty disappointed because I I failed it with that string around my foot in the last in the last couple minutes of the thing. The uh, but anyway, I did it again on the second time around. My fin broke, um, so I was there just like floating around and carrying parachutes and pulling people and doing like cervical spine checks, all kinds of stuff for an hour with one fin on. And, uh, and I, I remember looking at the, at the instructor right when it broke off and I go, I go instructor, whatever it was, my fin just broke off. Can I go get another one? And he goes, if this was the ocean and an actual rest fin broke off, would you quit on your survivors? And obviously it was like, no, sir, I'm going to go ahead and keep doing this. <laughs> You'd say, uh, yeah, I'd get another fin. <laughs> yeah, yeah, actually, I would, I would call up for another fin. But anyway, so I, I, so I finish, and I'll never forget, like, he goes, he goes, pass, and perfect. So I get to walk out, and I come out of the pool, 
and I go to get up, as soon as I'm on my feet, I go to take a step with the leg that the fin was on, and I drop yeah. to the ground. Oh, like I can imagine. Habit. The leg was dead. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I can imagine. Holy cow. But, yeah, I mean, it was uh... – it was a, it was just an overall great experience. I spent a lot of time, especially after rescue swimmer school, spent a lot of time on speed boats, doing a lot yep. of operations with recon and seals, and I had I had probably one of the best experiences that I've heard of in the, well, qu- in the Navy. Question about uh, that your you said your original rate was quartermaster, right? Mm-hmm. And rightfully so, you pointed out that uh, we're not talking Army quartermaster, we're talking Navy quartermaster. Did uh, mm-hmm. how much time on the on the charts did you do, or did you a lot, shift a lot? Quick? I mean, a lot. As a rescue swimmer in the Navy, you you maintain your rating. Right. I mean, you're right, right. you're being a rescue swimmer. You're, it's a collateral duty. So I spent a tremendous amount of time on charts. Um, you know, one of the one of the things that I wanted was to was to make a difference. You know, and I wasn't I wasn't obviously an infantryman that that made this tremendous uh impact uh, on the front line you know so what i what i could bring to the table was to do the best that i could um so i got qualified in as much uh and as quickly as i could in the within the quartermaster rating and and, in a few years i was navigator qualified so part of my job was to actually chart out the course across the Atlantic to chart out the the course through the Suez Canal, through the Straits of Gibraltar, uh, <laughs> operating boxes off the Horn of Africa, things like that. I mean, and those were, and looking back on it, you know, today I'm, I'm 36, but looking, actually 37, but <laughs> looking, looking back on it, it was a hell of a lot of responsibility to put on a, on a yeah, 21-year-old uh, to move, you know, that kind of equipment across the pond. But I mean... Um, I spent quite a bit of time on that, you know, and it was, it's a lot of, a lot of things that are, that are interesting about that rating. Um, in my college transcripts, there, there might be, uh, a cr- three credits for celestial navigation. And, uh, <laughs> did you get those there might immediately be, granted? There might be some credits get for underwater rescue. <laughs> <laughs> Can I waive these uh, celestial navigation credits, please? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So you, so it, it's people ask me like, why didn't you get a, why didn't you get a business undergrad degree? And I'm like, because no business school was ready to give me credit for these kind of courses. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, so I was the navigator on my last two boats, and we awesome. did uh, the the first of those last two boats. I was the navigator on. We did a fifth and sixth fleet deployment with our quartermaster rotation, meaning three third classes. And then it was like, you know, me and an ANAV who was really struggling. So it was right. monumental. I mean, it, it was crazy. And we, of course you did. Uh, we were, we left out of Groton and then went down through, you know, straight to Gibraltar, like you're saying, down through the Suez, uh, up into the uh, uh, Straits of Hormuz and Horn of Africa and all that kind of stuff. So I can completely relate. That's pretty cool. Yeah. So we, we did, we did a lot of the same stuff and I'll tell you, I can't imagine the difficulty of adding the contour of the bottom of the ocean <laughs> to the uh, to the list of concerns. So, I mean, hats off to you, man. That was uh, that's, well. That's, luck- luckily, that's... luckily, you don't normally have to because it's much deeper than you can go. So normally, it's not, <laughs> not a problem. That makes if sense. It's a problem, that makes sense. Then it's a problem. <laughs> but if well, you but... if you're bumping into something, something's wrong on a sob, I guess. <laughs> right. well, um, 
Excellent story. And speaking of stories, it's now time. Um, have you had a chance to think of a couple things from your service that you know that 10, 15, 20 years from now will still resonate forward that means the most to you about serving your country? Yeah, um, I think, I mean, and I, and I, I read it in the, uh, in the kind of the, the pre-interview thing, and it's, it's, it's funny because, you know, it's the thing that comes to top of mind most easily as far as my experience. And, and I would say that by far uh, the most impacting thing that at least I was a part of is in July of 2006, we were, we were a big part of the, uh, of the, of the evacuation of U.S. citizens out of Lebanon. Um, And we were, I was on the USS Nashville and it's, it's, crazy well documented there's like videos of us on the speedboat and it's kind of cool but the biggest thing there's thousands and thousands of Americans were, were were pulled out of harm's way and we we had a really big part in making that happen um, our specific discipline of of landing marines came in very handy when it came to, to right. landing on a beach and instead yeah. of deploying a fighting force we were we were bringing marines onto the ground so that they could help americans jump back on the lcus and come back through us and we were we were freighting folks between lebanon and cyprus and and i got to tell you the the experience of folks that have this this face on them that that they've been through through something that most most people but certainly no civilian ever wants to be a part of it. And it's just imagine just buildings falling around you. And it's just kind of, it kind of resonated with me in the sense of this is, this is why I showed up here. So people wouldn't have to deal with this kind of thing and, and to be able to be part of, of that. And it, it turned out to be, um, you know, one of the largest evacuations in history period. Um, you know, it was, this was, this was one that, uh, Anthony Bourdain was actually doing a parts unknown in Lebanon. Uh, and he, he actually ended up on our ship and he, I think he won some sort of award for, for the documentary that he did walking around our (laughs) ship. Um, but it was, but I had no idea who Anthony Bourdain was at that time. (laughs) Did he, did he have all the tattoos and all that (laughs) that he ended up getting later? (laughs) I, I gotta tell you the, all I knew from what, at least from what we were saying when we were on board is like, Oh, we've got a reporter on board. That's as far as it went, you know, and and maybe, maybe in 2006, that's as far as anybody cared to know. Yeah. 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 But no. I mean, it was it was a it was a tremendously rewarding experience. I mean, and it wasn't, and and it's funny. We trained for the for the, during the time that I was in the military. All, almost all of the training, obviously, save it, the the rescue swimmer training. Almost all of our training was in either technical training or how to take life. Yeah. You know, yeah. and to be able to apply all of that same training to saving people you know, was impactful to me. And I mean, and, and that's something that stuck with me that you can take skills that you learn for one reason and apply them for another. And, and, and it could be extremely rewarding. When, when you were talking about that, and you may, you may have another story here, but I just wanted to kind of interject that when, when you were talking about that, there was something that resonated and I'll spare you and everybody else, the, the whole story, but there was something that really meant a lot to me in pulling into another port and being uh, having Americans from wherever you had pulled in either see the ship 
or uh, come on the ship for like tours or whatever the case may be. Or in your case, obviously a whole whole lot more kinetic where you're in there doing live operational, you know, uh, extraction of folks. But the dynamic of an American overseas seeing a Navy vessel with an American flag is, uh, is so incredibly impactful because like it's, it's the embodiment of here we are for you. We, we are your country here for you. And literally a Navy vessel Mm -hmm. is U S soil there in their port. We are here for you. And that dynamic was just so, it was so crazy to see and literally brings tears to my eyes about how impactful that was. I don't know if that would play a part in what, what you were feeling. Absolutely. I mean, it's, it's that feeling of as an American citizen, you're, you're never alone. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, and that's uh, and that's a big deal. And, and it really for for those of us that were that were there, you know, it really felt like like we were like we were doing something for for our brothers and sisters directly as opposed to, you know, indirectly through, you know, through the, the whole, you know, scheme of the war fighting effort. And it was it was a big deal. You know, it really felt like we were making a big difference there. And I think that at, at the end of the day, uh, you know, we're an all-volunteer, we were an all-volunteer force and have been for a long time. And, and you know, folks that are that are showing up to put themselves in harm's way uh, on a volunteer basis yeah. are are doing it out of the out of the you know for the right reasons, I think. And and that kind of experience really showcased um, the best. That I that I ever saw out of, out of sailors, and I and I saw some really some really spectacular feats out of our U.S. Navy. I mean, and that you know, and I can't tell you that I ever saw kinder folks than guys that were that I'd seen, you know, put a thousand rounds down range, just being just the the kindest, most like funny people to these like six year olds that we were bringing yeah. onto the ship, you know, and playing, you know, and it's just like you never you never know. You know what kind of what kind of person you're you've got next to you until you until you go through either a terrible combat experience or you go through something yeah. like this where another side of people can come out. Fantastic story. I'm not sure I can emotionally handle another story like that. <laughs> but um, <laughs> <laughs> do uh, was did you have another one? Uh, do you have another? Well, story? I mean, in the in the same uh, in the same kind of uh, in the same period of time we were we were doing the security uh, around the around the LCU that was bringing folks uh, back to the back to the ship and we were kind of freighting everyone back and forth and it was our job we had a fire team on a speedboat and we were basically going in circles around uh, the civilians but while we were loading we were just kind of sitting there on the beach um, and this was 2006, so at that point I'd already been in four years. I was actually closer to the end of my time there. So I was the senior enlisted guy on the boat, mm-hmm. uh, and we're there. And I remember uh, that there was a, a shine, like a, something that was just flashing on, on the beach on top of a building. And, uh, and I looked through the binoculars, and, it's a, and sure enough, it's like a, it's like a sniper. <laughs> and it's not one of ours. <laughs> Oh my God. And uh, and I and I remember I picked up the radio and I called the uh, I called the bridge, and I tell the officer that's in charge up there. I go I go hey we got we got a sniper on our position, mm-hmm. you know what what do we do? 
And uh, and the guy goes, he goes, Roger that, stand fast. Uh, basically, nothing we can do about it. Because, <laughs> <laughs> oh, I mean, great. we're not, if, if we, any, there was no right answer at that yeah. point. And he just said, just stay there. And uh, so I, I look. I look at the guys and there's like, there's an engineer, there's the, there's the boat driver, there's a medic. And then there's like three fire team guys. And I go, I go, you guys see the flash over there? And they're, they're like, yep. I go wave. <laughs> and, uh, and they're like, you want to, you want us to what? And I go, I want you to wave because <laughs> if, if that guy drops one of us, he needs to know that we're going to rain hell on them because we've seen them. Yep. And that's exactly what we did. So we waved, and I'm looking through the binoculars, and all I see is the guy kind of shifting uncomfortably. <laughs> <laughs> but, but yeah, sure, nothing, nothing happened. So I don't know if uh, if them knowing that we, I mean, and mind you, we did not have any any kind of weapons that were sea to land ready. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I hear you. We, I mean, we had. The the only thing that we had going was that we Israel was our ally and we were just pulling out our own. But sure yeah. enough, I mean, once we were once we were off the beach, Israel kind of leveled that piece of that piece of beach. So I mean, I don't know if that guy's still around. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's, uh, it's it's funny because if you were if you were on the you know on, back on the ship itself, there's only dramatic uh sea to shore weapons right there's nothing surgical right right, <laughs> right. no no there there's nothing uh <laughs> the best that they would have maybe done is gotten one of our own snipers on a flight deck and they yeah, just yeah. weren't they weren't about that at that moment they were busy with other stuff <laughs> I, yeah i hear you excellent story and that would definitely stick with me i have a I have one one follow-up question then we can we're getting here towards the end of the show and all that but one follow-up question that's a a particular, particularly Navy question, um, and goodness knows we all have our own, you know, our own uh, stories uh, outside of the service and all that kind of stuff. But one thing I think is common for everybody: can you describe the feeling of like the the last couple of days leading up to the last day before you return from deployment on a ship? What that feels like. It's like it's like the grown-up version of just like Christmas morning anxiety, <laughs> isn't it? Isn't it crazy? And it's and it's the weirdest thing because it's it's the first time you don't see it coming, but the second, yeah. third, fourth time you start to know that you're so excited to come home and you're gonna be home for a little while, and then all of a sudden you're gonna start to miss the sea. <laughs> and it it is the weirdest thing man i could i could have sworn up and down that i didn't want that it, when i was getting out and i convinced myself that it was the right thing to do so i started to try to put it out of my mind yeah. what did i do in the first month or two after separating from the navy i went on a cruise <laughs> <laughs> All right, that's pretty weird. I'll be honest with you. <laughs> and I'll tell you, the uh, it is so much more relaxing on a civilian cruise. <laughs> You're not responsible for anything, right? <laughs> right, right, right. They were, you I know, they did the maintenance. Like, yeah, and I remember, and I remember thinking, God help me if they if they call a man overboard because I'm going to feel like I need to do something about it. <laughs> get a get a lancy. <laughs> right, right, right. 
And it's just like, and I was so critical of everything they were doing too. I was like, these life wraps aren't right? going to come out. You see the rust? <laughs> <laughs> Go down in the engine room and check their logs. <laughs> yes, yes. I was like, uh, I, everything. I was criticizing everything. But but I'm telling yeah. you, I mean, Christmas morning, you know, showing up, and especially I was stationed in Norfolk, and, and we would – we would oh my leave gosh, when yeah. the weather was turning nice, and we would come back when it was colder than. <laughs> yep. Yeah. And yeah. I, and it didn't and it didn't matter, man. So we we'd be out there, and you'd be on the edge of frostbite, and you were just man in the rails, so excited to get back, man. It was it's 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 a it's a really irreplaceable experience to have. Well, I I know that the rest of the services have their own thing, and everybody goes on deployments and all that kind of stuff. But that dynamic of a ship coming into port is and that is a uniquely navy uh thing and mm -hmm. just makes it like infinitely more dramatic and what i'll do i'm going to save mm -hmm. for the next navy person who appears on the podcast i'm going to ask them the super depressing opposite question which is describe leaving <laughs> for, for deployment <laughs> you don't you don't yeah, have to talk about day, that one. the first day is rough the first day is rough <laughs> That's going to bring the entire podcast to its knees. That's right. That's right. I'm not crying. You're crying. It's salt in my eyes. It's salt. Um, well, uh, outstanding stories. Uh, incredibly entertaining. And, and I really do mean that about uh, how impactful I thought that you talking about your experience around 9-11 and the, and the first Trade Center bombing and all that kind of stuff. That really, that really uh, hit home for me. The last kind of thing I'd like to talk about before we do wrap up the show, you told us what line of business you're in with Jones Lang LaSalle. Could you hit on two things for me? One, which part of what you do are you most passionate about, the line of work that you're in right now? And the other thing is, are there some specific things that you, you see as parallels with your time in the military, things that you know you do now because of your time in the service? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, I... I'll tell you the as far as what I am passionate about that is related to to what we do every day you know i'm I'm extremely passionate about just the entire concept of success in the face mm -hmm. of adversity and I, and I feel like specifically in retail leasing, we have an opportunity to walk people through the start of their their own business and in many cases the start of their financial independence, you know, and it's, it's this concept of the, of the American dream, you know, and, and when I was first starting in the retail business, um, you know, in any sales role, they hit you with what's your elevator speech, yeah. you know, and the best I could come up with at that time was that we're in the retail business in particular, obviously when we're working with local tenants um, to come in and start their, their small businesses, we're, we're kind of the gatekeeper and guide to the American dream in that we, we, we help people get started. And then once they've started, we help them grow, you know, and, and that's, and that's hugely impactful to me. And, and I think that the, that the parallels to, to service is that I, I joined to make America safe and make America better. And, and, you know, and, and in particular, uh, in the in the current times that we're living in, you know, between pandemic and, and, and racial tension and all kinds of things that we're being faced with, there's a, a tremendous amount of adversity out there to overcome. Yeah. And and I think that that 
still continuing to hold strong and still continuing to see folks uh, want to improve themselves and see folks want to continue to open their businesses and see folks fight and struggle to keep to keep things going and, and, and see people do things for the right way and be able to participate in keeping folks in business and and and, and advising landlords that, that it's that it's better to keep the existing businesses than to turn around and, and put folks out of business and then and then find someone to just replace them. I think that there are there are clear parallels in and establishing those kind of those kind of values, you know, just in parallels between just a general sense of civic duty and, and preserving our American dream and, and being put in a position where where we can actually influence and, and help folks actually pull it off, you know, which is which isn't that easy, as 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 we know, you know. Incredibly well said, really really fantastic. I have. Uh... Really impressed with. Uh, I'm glad you think so. I thought I stumbled through that. <laughs> no, 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 my friend, you did not. <laughs> really, really impressive, and I, I can't thank you enough for being on the show. Really fantastic episode, and something you may not know. I don't know. I usually don't send around my one pager about the show, but did you know that you could probably guess this? But the title of the episode, the Midwatch, is about you know my experience standing the Midwatch of. You know, you and your watch team doing your thing and you were on the charts probably and you have a, a a watch team up there and you end up telling stories and all that kind of stuff. So it feels like we mm -hmm. just uh, stood the midwatch together. It was awesome. That's that's <laughs> amazing. I got to tell you, the uh, I, at the mo in the moment, you never think you're going to miss a midwatch. And, uh, and it turns and out, here we it are. turns out inevit inevitably, <laughs> and here we are, except <laughs> it's, four, it's currently 4.27 p.m. my time, not right. 2 o'clock in the morning <laughs> right you're in miami i'm in raleigh this isn't the midwatch at all right right right, <laughs> well, right. This is, well, there's no red lights the... to be found <laughs> <laughs> so uh, hang on the line here as i wrap up and we'll you and i can uh, hang up off after i stop recording but uh thanks again Raphael. excellent episode and hey midwatch audience i hope you enjoyed the show i hope you're sharing this with uh, friends and family and coworkers. Make sure that you give us five stars or whatever the rating is on whatever platform you listen to and catch up with us next week when we have yet another fantastic episode like this one. Take care, everybody. And uh, Raphael, thanks again. Thank you. You've been listening to Jones Lang LaSalle's The Midwatch Podcast with Dan Ettinger. Look for us on the web and social media and please share with friends and family. Thanks for your support. Like us wherever you listen to this podcast and stay tuned.